Good evening, ladies and gentle germs. I'm back. This is Polymaths episode 26, and I'm taking a slightly different format on this episode. This is the first of hopefully a number um, of interviews of some of my friends and uh, people I've met or know. I'm very lucky to know some incredibly inspiring, creative and incredible people in terms of what they've accomplished and what they've managed to do. And so I thought it would be a really good opportunity to interview some of them and get their stories and some of their tips and maybe some advice out there. Uh, the first first interviewee is uh, Mr. Ryan HK. It's a very good friend of mine who works out of Calgary. He's a commercial photographer and cinematographer. And he's I've known him for a number of years now. We tried to figure out exactly what it was at the beginning uh, of the episode. We think it's about five, five or six years. And on this episode, we sit around and discuss pretty much everything that um, is polymathic to his lifestyle as one of the most interesting people I know in terms of the wide variety of things that he works on. So he's, uh, as I say, he's a photographer, he's a cinematographer. He also does leatherworking, he's very much into his motorbikes and uh, we discuss all of that and more in this episode of Polymath. So sit back and relax and listen to Ryan chat away with, <laughs> with yours truly. Thank you very much and Without further ado, here's episode 26. First interviewee, we have uh, my friend over from, well he's not over, he's on Skype at the moment. Uh, we've got Ryan from Calgary who is uh, known you for, how many years have actually known you for? Where did, where did we start? It was, was it Creative Live or was it a, another photographer who we won't mention? Yeah, I think it was that specific pile of garbage. Um, <laughs> I seem to remember. I seem to remember six, six years ago. There's something around there, wasn't it? What year is it? 2016. So yeah, five years. Wow, long time. Yeah. So yeah, you are interviewee number one, sir. Um, and why don't you tell 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 everybody a little bit about you? I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I don't know. I guess I'm a professional photographer and cinematographer. Uh, this is uh, hey, officially my like tenth year in business as a full timer. Oh wow. Uh, which is, I guess, kind of a big deal because they said if you can make it 10 years, you might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Joel, Joel Grimes saying that, so uh, yeah, definitely up there. Well, yeah, I think the thing is you you, uh, you learn how to live off like ramen and, and craft dinner for the first five of those 10 <laughs> years, and then you just slowly build a brand from there. <laughs> so I've had all the ramen and, and uh, mac and cheese I want now. So obviously, I met you um, through photography, and I know, I know I know your work very well. Um, but I also know that there's there's other parts of your life that uh, are particularly interesting. So, for instance, that you um, I know that you are into your knives and you do leather working, and you've built and ridden choppers, uh, motorbikes. Um, so, if we go if we go right back, where did where did all this where did your journey start in terms of being creative and, and what? If we go all the way back, what what was the uh, what was the one thing that happened uh, that kind of pushed you in that direction? Uh, you know, I used to love to doodle as a kid. 
I think I doodled more than I paid attention in class. Um, And then uh, I was talked out of doodling by my parents, uh, who my dad worked in uh, corporate America, we'll say. And uh, I was coerced into working uh, more towards that side of stuff. And so I put... I put the creative stuff sort of like as a secondary for a while and played a bunch of sports instead and studied at school. And then I did um, like a form of internship, I guess, when I was between grade 11 and grade 12. I don't know what that is in English grades. You guys have like 11 and 12. Yeah, I'm not sure. What what age is that? It's like uh, 16 and 17. So like yeah, year, year 10, year 11, going into going into sixth form over here. Yeah. And uh, so my dad set me up uh, with an internship at one of his firms, which was a downtown office job. And uh, I, I couldn't do it. Like, I absolutely couldn't do it. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I did it all summer. It was fine. But yeah. I realized then that that was not where I wanted to go. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I still went to university. I still did the, like, oh, I'll get a degree in this, and then I can do whatever. And um my, I guess like I did like two or three years of university and then decided, you know what, I needed to figure stuff out. And I was snowboarding quite a bit back then. I started okay. it in 92, I guess, is when I would have started snowboarding. And my brother and I were competitive snowboarders. He was much more competitive than I. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, I, I guess the creativity on the video and photo side started then, like shooting snowboarding because it was fun and we were just like, Ooh, we're awesome kids and going off jumps and whatever. So I think that was the snowboarding, I'd have to say, was the, like, push into doing this creatively and getting published in, like, a couple little crappy Canadian snowboard magazines. And Well, I mean, they're not – the magazines aren't crappy, but at the time, you're like, yeah, whatever. And, um, <laughs> totally emo. Yeah, it was just, like, one of those things. And then I think, I guess, as soon as I figured out I could make – a little bit of money with a camera I didn't want to work for real ever again <laughs> and uh, so I always had like I made sure that my jobs from that moment like any any job I had from that moment on was never like a real job um, I coached snowboarding for probably uh, like almost 10 years professionally and then uh, was a golf pro for a few years down in the Bahamas and, oh, wow. Uh, all the while doing those, which were still passions of mine and still not corporate work, uh, I was playing with cameras. And um, I liked drawing, but I was terrible. Like, <laughs> you, my storyboards are almost illegible <laughs> for other people. It's like, it's stick figures. Yeah, and, I've seen them. I've seen them. You sent me a couple. Explanation in the scene, like, uh, this is a person and they're moving left to right because I can't draw for shit, man. So... <laughs> Photography seemed like the way to go because I don't know, driving and my my brain's always been very technical. Like I was always mm, qu- quite good with like math and numbers, and I just didn't enjoy it. So to be able to apply technical nerdiness into something creative, I think was that's what hit home for me. And uh, and then I never really had to draw anything again. I could just be like let's set up some friends and let's do this and shoot oh. that. And so, uh, <laughs> the super really long round way about, I guess, is 
I owe what I do today to snowboarding and, you know, hanging out with my little brother who was a phenomenal snowboarder and a, and a really good filmmaker, even when he was like 14. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Fantastic. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, totally. That's roundabouty, but yeah. So no, it was like snowboarding. Cool. It all started snowboarding. It all started on the slopes. Brilliant. Yeah. So you say you were, um, you kind of got that technical geekiness about you. Was was that um, kind of nurtured in school? Was that, did the, the university course that you did, did that reflect that? Uh, you know, what's funny is when I got to university, I took like astrophysics and a few other things. I know, right? You never know. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just one of those, like my, my little brother, I say little, he's shitty, he's like 35 now, but <laughs> my younger brother, um, was always creative, like phenomenal drawer, painter, like everything. He had the total creative package. And I was just always good with numbers. Like I got accused of cheating in calculus, like in high school, because I never used to show my work. And it's just one of those things like I could do complex equations and numbers without writing anything down. So I don't know. It was uh, getting accused of cheating and having a really tough time with teachers and stuff in like the numbers game kind of pushed me away from that side of things. And uh, just to keep my interest, because I always like, I enjoyed it. I just didn't like the school side of it. Um, so I went into honors geography uh, in my first year of university okay. because I wanted to be a golf course architect. And I went oh, wow. golf course. Yeah. And uh, then when I learned that you spent a bunch of years in a cat digging holes for somebody else, and you don't really ever get to design shit. I was like, oh, fuck this. I don't want this. So I changed it to weather systems. And then I was going to do avalanche control. And uh, I got buried in an avalanche and decided that that really wasn't where I wanted to go. <laughs> you got so, buried in an avalanche. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't big. It was like a, I don't know, not even a class two. Like it was small, slough. Um, but it was enough to like scare the shit out of me for a was while. That, was that at university? No, it was just after my second year. I think it would have been second year probably. Uh, I was out in Whistler and we were out in like a bowl area and they'd been blasting all morning and um, it was okay to drop in. And then some jerk cut above us uh, in the chute and just released like a top sheet, like a really thin, yeah. maybe like... I don't know, it, it maybe snowed like three feet, two feet, three feet that night. So he released this slab and I was below and uh, I heard slide and I turned my head and it was too late. And it basically is like getting hit by a bus. And then I got carried halfway down the bowl and, uh, and so I was super lucky, man. Like whatever. Oh, man. I stayed fairly on top. And when it came to a rest, my hands were really close to the surface and my head was out. So I was fine. Okay. It's not like one of those where you're, snowboard works like an anchor and you get dragged under and then you die like 22 minutes later. Yeah. Um, so it scared the shit out of me. And I kind of was like, you know what? I don't want to do this. So, uh, I just, I left school. I coached snowboarding for a bunch of years, coached golf, just kind of decided to, to fuck around, I guess, and not do anything real. Uh, and then it all led back to this, which really isn't real either. I mean, I get paid to play with a camera. So it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. Is that, Brilliant. Is that too long of an answer? Is that 
too long of an answer. No, that's, that's <laughs> awesome, man. So I can't believe that you got caught in an avalanche. That's scary. That's insane. Yeah, Your um, university stuff is far more interesting than ours. What's that? So your university courses are far more interesting than ours. Yeah. <laughs> We've got pig farming and uh, things like that, and you do avalanche control. Yeah, that's right up there with the awesomeness. Yeah. Well, the the avalanche control stuff isn't done through the university. The You do, like, uh, weather systems and um, meteorology and that kind of stuff. And then from there, you go get your AVI certification through, like, one of the mountain schools or whatever. So... Uh, avalanche and winter weather systems is where I wanted to go, so I spent a bunch of time on the mountains outside of school, and that's where I got squished. Wow, fantastic! Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've always, I've always loved. Way back to uh, your actual question, I've always loved numbers, and I guess it's just been one of those things. And now with like doing cinematography and figuring out uh, lighting ratios, ISO, like. It, I don't know. It's so nerdy, but I love it. Like just being like, okay, well, we have this much light, so at f two we need blah blah blah, and you just kind of figure it out. And then frame rates versus shutter speeds or shutter angles, depending on uh, if you're in real video or just like DSLR mirrorless style video. It's it's so nerdy, but it's great. <laughs> and do you do you find yourself still improving on the uh, the technical side of stuff like that, and finding like geeky shortcuts or, or uh, different lighting setups that you've not found before, or, or ratios and things? Yeah, I think, um, so I guess naturally I'm not a super creative person. Like I really have to push myself to get creative or I have to get super drunk and write things down. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Then I'm super creative. When I'm cleaned up, it's like, you know what would be great? You know what would be great? (laughs) This would be great. But sober, it's just like, oh yeah, okay. Um, But no, I'm always trying to push my own sort of, lighting skill level and technique and boundaries um as far as like a creative style goes and then as well using the like techie nerdy side to be like okay if i want one tenth of a stop difference between these can you really see it and then you take the photo with and then you take the photo without and um you know figuring out ratios and and lighting distance for um or power difference for lighting distance. I don't know. It's just one of those, like, if I if I get to set up, I try and see it set up a, a creative or two a month where nothing matters. Like, I'll set up, <laughs> like, some bullshit 48-inch Okta single light with, like, a little bit of a rim and go, okay, there. Now we've got our safe shot for sure. So the makeup artist is happy, the stylist is happy, our location owner is happy. You know, you get something that's marketable. And then after that, it's figuring out numbers and, and how to shoot something that I haven't shot before. So is it is it all, um, when, when you're doing things like that, is, is it um, shoot and see what it looks like? Or are you working it out and have you got an idea of what it should look like in your head before you take the photo, before, before the flashes go off? Have, have you kind of worked the ratios out in your head beforehand yeah so some creatives i will straight up i I have a a notebook that's always with me and i'll have lighting diagrams and setups and storyboards and i'll have ratios written in there um but most creatives what usually happens is i get that safe shot and then i get the shot that i've planned out the like 
riskier shot. <laughs> and because this is audio only, you can't see me doing air quotes. On <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I find that I'll do the safe shot, which is like your, you know what? No, I'm not going to mention it. It's just a standard commercial crisp, like <laughs> nice one light with an edge. And, uh, and then I'll do my like setup, but usually it's somewhere in the middle of shooting my like, this is the setup I want and moving to a second setup where my brain kind of kicks in and go, you know, what would be amazing here is, you know, a stop and a third over on the backdrop at like a 45 degree angle feathered in at this. And then I'll throw that light, fire a frame, look and be like, okay, well now I can tweak this light to shape this more. And, gotcha. uh, I sent you those proofs of the the portraits of Locke, which yes. should be released in the next like week or so. Um, that's what happened there. So I knew what I wanted to shoot. I had the lighting diagram. And then we watched Gangs of New York the night before. <laughs> and uh, Locke really wanted to do something like the Bill the Butcher scene. And I was like, we can totally do that. So I shifted my lighting a little bit in my notebook. And then... Um, once I had the chair set up and I had the main light and he was still sleeping. Like I woke up early, set everything up, did all the lighting. Uh-huh. And, um, I got a really nice, like clean look that I liked. And as soon as I had him sitting there and I saw the back of the camera on the first one, I took a couple minutes and I tweaked the lighting, looked at it a second time. Okay. It would be amazing if it looked like there was a window in the background. So I grabbed a fourth light, yeah, I yeah, yeah. A little speed light, and then I gelled the main lights for CTO so that the speed light would show okay, up blue, blue yep. in the background, and then it looked like moonlight coming through a window. And then once I did that, and we changed the position and and the styling a little bit, I thought you know what would be amazing is instead of it being a window, if it was just a puff of really deep red, and then he was leaning forward more aggressive. So it kind of like. I'm sorry, these answers are really long. But, no, you um, keep going. This is, this is it cool. Starts, it starts as a plan. It for sure starts as a plan and then evolves. And it, it helps to be able to see the back of the camera. So I learned on film, and I shot film for, holy shit, like 12 years maybe. Wow. And, I mean, uh, my stuff improved, I guess, but nowhere near when you were on location and you're looking at the back of the camera going, you know what would be really nice is like a little fleck of light here yeah. or a little fleck of light there. And now I think I can I can see it more on location than like five, six, seven, eight years ago. I'd, I'd get home and I'd be like, ah, you know what would have been good is, you know, you have to look at them for a bit. Yeah. Now I'm able to recognize how I'd like to transform that image more on location. So the, uh, once again, HK super, super long answer condensed is it starts with a plan and evolves from there. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> easily one of the, like an hour long podcast of me rambling. <laughs> easily one of the things that the best things that digital photography has brought is that instant, instant visualization of, uh, of what you've shot. Oh my God. It's amazing. And I used to like, I, dude, I fucking fought, I fought digital so hard for so long. Um, I even went to photo school, which was digital only. So. I had my Nikon F4S and my glass, and then I had to buy, and I had an FE2 as my backup, um, and I had to buy a a D70, and I was pissed because (laughs) digital then sucked. Like, it was noisy, and the blacks were like a purpley brown. Yeah, yeah. the noise was terrible. 
and yeah, and I've been I've been shooting for magazines for a few years then, and they didn't want the D seventy files. They're like, no, we're not taking digital files. Like we we still want uh, Provia, Belvia. Like <laughs> we we want legit drum scans of slide film because that's what everyone. It's the aesthetic I think that everyone had become yeah yeah used to in forty years right forty Belvia maybe thirty years. And anyway, um, so my first year, I talked to my photo instructor, and I said, look, I know it's digital only, but do you, do you mind if I shoot some stuff on film? And uh, he said, if you want to spend the money and shoot film and get it developed and scan it and do all that extra garbage, feel free. Like, I don't care. And uh, so I shot, I shot film through my whole first year. I did some assignments digitally because, you know, I didn't want to waste the film on shooting some ribbon cutting of some bullshit event downtown Calgary. Because um, I went to photojournalism school, not like photo photo school. Okay. And uh, then my second year, I shot a mix of digital. And then I bought my first medium format film camera in 2005. 2004 maybe and uh, that changed everything I was just like oh my god 35 mils garbage I don't want to shoot this anymore (laughs) and so most of my assignments were studio based and while I I did improve some and then in the studio you used a Polaroid man like to to check the the field and check everything you were using a Polaroid back so it was your first first medium format camera was a Hasselblad is that right Uh, and then you had a Polaroid back on the back it was a Bronica SQI 6x6. Oh, check it out. I still owns it. I sold it to him like years ago, and he still has it. Oh, fuck. Um, so it's still modular. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing was awesome. So I had I had two uh, 120 backs for that and a Polaroid back. Um, shot a shit ton of film. I shot a bunch of 4x5 in my second year. Um, Polaroid only, though, not like real 4x5. Um, and then... I decided that the Bronico wasn't good enough for me, which was bullshit. <laughs> and uh, I sold it to a buddy for super cheap. And then it was, I was going to buy a Mamiya uh, RZ672. Yeah. Um, and I picked one up and they were so heavy and so giant. And I just was like, I don't want to lug this around. So I looked at the Hasselblad and I looked at a 503 and a 500. Okay. And I got a like numbers matching 500 with four lenses for super, super good deal. It was really clean. I bought it off the original owner, uh, and he had had the camera since 1957. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I used that until I switched to uh, to digital. And so I had my 500C, and then I had an H, um, I had an H1. Yep. Uh, as well, and then I sold the 500C to a barista here in town who I had met through, like most photographers, working in a fucking coffee shop on your laptop every day, turning it into your office. Um, and uh, I gave her a really smoking deal, and she just listed it for sale like a couple weeks ago, and she's had it since, but now it looks like it's been to Beirut and back. Oh, like, wow. When I had it, it looked like it was new, and she is she has definitely used, like, I mean, she, she put more rolls through it than I ever did. Um, so yeah, I fought I fought digital forever, and then uh, the studio I got hired at out of school, um, I guess, was only digital, no film, it was bullshit. It was just corporate events and real estate and just terrible, terrible work. But I got to call myself a photographer, which was all that sort of mattered to me. Uh, and then as I 
shot so much 35 mil like corporate events and stuff. I wanted to take photography back like for myself. And that's when I bought uh, another like medium, medium format and just kind of um, shot medium format film for really for another few years until I could form like a medium format digital or until my work. Uh, what I allowed you, which now I was like, oh man, I should never have bought digital, but like medium format when I did, I totally would have been fine in 35 mil. But you think it's going to get you work, right? And I can totally admit that now. I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this Hasselblad and I'm going to get all this work. It's going to be amazing. And you're like, no, I'm really not getting much more work. <laughs> it's like anything. You're like, oh, I need the latest and greatest. Yeah. No, I, I, I know that. I, I know that. I did he even answer your question? <laughs> I don't even think there was a question there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> brilliant. Um, you say you, you say you're not creative, or you say you're not, um, or you don't have that side of you. But I've seen a lot of your work. I mean, the the uh, the scary clown portraits that you did years ago were some of my favourite photos that you've done. Um, and obviously, the the one that you mentioned with uh, with lock the knives. Um, are incredible. Where do you where do you get your creativity from if you're not because it's an incredibly creative uh, world that you're living in? Where do you get it from if you don't think you're creative? You mentioned um, gangs of New York that you were watching. Do you pull from pull from um, different areas? Yeah, I am. A, I am a total cinephile. Like I probably spend way too much time watching movies and dissecting lighting and scenes and all that. <laughs> math nerdy bullshit that it goes back to I guess so my who's laughing now series um, that was when I first got my Hasselblad digital and uh, I had never experienced uh, digital with sync speeds over like a 250th of a second right and yeah. that could sync up to an 800 um, and I had like 4800 watts of speedatron like total tank lighting then so I bought a 4,000-watt generator, and uh, I wanted to do lighting exercises, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. And uh, I always had, like, my creativity, the limited amount that I did have, I guess, was always on the darker side. Like, I liked the darker movies, and I liked that. So that Who's Laughing Now series uh, started from a lighting exercise. That was like, a, okay, you know what I want to do? I want to shoot at one o'clock in the afternoon and I want to make it look like night. So that first shot, which is Katie standing in the woods with the chainsaw with blood all over her dress. Yeah. Uh, that's at one o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Uh, and I have a blue gelled light and, or well, a green gelled light way in the back to um, basically punch green onto the trees because I was underexposing by like three stops everywhere. So they just would have been like black goo. So I pushed the light into the trees with green, and then I blue gelled a strip box to create fake moonlight. And then I had like a quarter CTO uh, corrective on the main light, and then that's what I actually ran for my uh, target um, Kelvin, like my white balance. And uh, so I ran my white balance at that like quarter corrective CTO, yeah, yeah. and then... I could get away with my CTB on the strip, not yeah. being like super blue and losing a ton of power, but I could run like, I think that would have been like a quarter stop maybe, okay. uh, or quarter strength. And then, 
you know, fired a couple frames with the Hassie and I, I, I jacked that thing right up to an 800th of a second at like ISO 50 so that it was fairly dark already. And then I think I was up in the like F14, F16 range. And uh, if you turn the transmitter off for the Speedatrons, it, that frame was pretty much black. So everything that you can see of that frame is crushed it. through lighting. And that's all that that's all that it was. It was just one shoot with a friend who um, wanted to have some fun, and she agreed uh, in Oct actually this time of year, four or five years ago, whatever it was, uh, to stand out in the Canadian Rockies in bare feet in like minus three. In a bloody dress. Uh, and uh, so I did that, and I kind of, I guess... It, it kind of like ignited this little lighting challenge in my brain and dude, people fucking hate clowns for some reason. Like, <laughs> I can no issue with clowns. And right now there's that crazy, like yep. going up the U S with the clowns. And one of them got shot a couple of weeks ago because you know, whatever Americans are crazy. Yeah. It's landed um, over here as well. I can say that cause I grew up there. I can say Americans are crazy because I grew up in Chicago. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it was a way for me to try unorthodox lighting styles. And because they were creepy clowns, if it didn't work out 100%, I could just be like, oh, it's a creative decision because it's clown lighting. Not like, oh, I was trying to light an 82-year-old war vet in a museum and just be like, oh, that looks stupid. In this case, <laughs> well, if it doesn't work, it's still a creepy clown in a really weird situation. So, yeah, my clown series, which... Um, yeah, I don't know. That was the start of my like lighting addiction, I guess. I had been assisting um, a photographer here in town, Noah Fallis, who you should all go check out. I think it's www.noahfallis.com. Anyway. How do you spell that? Uh, N-O-A-H-F-A-L-L-I-S. Um, he's been shooting forever. I actually still work with him. I, I do a bunch of like filming for him and... Um, Anyway, we've been friends for years now, and I was assisting him, and he was the first guy that I ever saw that used crazy lighting setups. Like, I, I went to school for photojournalism, and the studio that I worked in after I graduated was bullshit. It was two umbrellas, one on full, one on half power, and it was just like these shitty two-to-one lighting ratio, real estate headshot, Christmas party garbage, and that's all I had ever really known other than like some studio stuff of me playing around when I was in school and uh Noah the first time I saw him light something I was just like well, why the fuck do you have five lights out can't you just do that with two he goes yeah but this light's doing that this light's doing this and this light's actually adding texture by raking across the skin here then that light is just punching like a tenth of a stop in the background just to give us some and I was just like I don't know what <laughs> Uh, okay, so how often can I assist you? And I don't care what it pays. <laughs> and I, this is so shitty to say, but I bet you I learned more in three months of assisting Noah than I did in two years of photo school. That and, doesn't, doesn't uh, now surprise we're me. Really good friends, and we work together all the time. And um, he he was the whole reason actually that I got into that. While well, my like who's laughing now was an exercise in lighting, and then. Um, you know, my latest series of portraits, I, I've been shooting so much video over the last three years that I feel like my photography has suffered. So a few months ago, I decided that I was really going to get back into photography. So um, I've been working with Sony for two years now. Um, not working with, getting stuff from, 
I guess. Sponsored by? Yeah, it's not even a sponsorship. Yeah. I don't know. They send me shit, I take pictures, and then <laughs> I stuff. Um, so Associated I wanted with. to go back into photography, and I, I have an architectural client, and I decided, you know what, I've had them for a long time, and they had some really good projects coming up, and I had some other stuff that I wanted to shoot, so I was going to get back into medium format. So I bought this phase one, and um, because I'm gear-driven, it was probably the best decision I've done for my photo career in the last five. Um, because immediately I started shaping my light more. I started taking more time setting up. I started taking more time um, in the overall lighting process again because each each shutter press counts. I mean, it doesn't because it's digital and fuck it, you already got the memory card. But it, as far as the process, it feels like... feels slower. And it feels like it's worth more. Like the picture is worth more. I don't know if it's that noise that they make because it's like, ah, fuck, I love this. Or if it's just holding this ginormous camera that commands your subject to be like, damn, that's a big camera. And um, that process of even buying, like, I mean, shit, my phase that I bought was refurbished. I bought it from the phase rep for a really good deal. Um, and it's old, man. Like, it's six six years, seven, seven years old. And I've produced... Uh, three of the best photographs of my entire life with that camera. Now, could I have done it with any other camera? Absolutely. Yep. There's nothing that states that I needed a phase for any one of those. Um, but in my head, it helped me get past this. You've got to do the camera justice problem. almost. Yeah. So I was able to push myself technically further by using that camera as an excuse. Um yeah, I don't know where we're going with this, but no, I'm, I'm gear I'm gear oriented, and my creativity still, oddly enough, comes from mathematical um, challenges on the side of lighting or frame rates, that kind of stuff. In video, it's always like you're like, yeah, okay, it's it's math and lighting, whatever. With photos, it's way more fun. Yeah, like the, the tech side. Uh, in in cinema, it's like data rates and that kind of bullshit. Like, um, photos way photos way more fun now. So if you were to um, light the uh, Who's Laughing Now uh, series today, um, A, would you have lit them differently? And B, if you cast your mind back, uh, can you can you tell that your process, the lighting process that you do, has it changed? So I totally almost continued on with that series this fall. Oh, really? Uh, just just oh. to see how much my work had changed. Please do. Because I love that series. It's in similar locations, like I would make all of the variables the same, but me five years later. Yeah, do it. I'd love to see that. So Katie's, which is the one in the forest. Yep. I don't think it changed a thing. I love, I love that photo. Actually, I think I have like a three foot, like a third. Well, yeah, twenty four, thirty six of that photo framed somewhere in the house. That's just never made it up onto a wall because it's creepy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then I shot this girl Abby from Australia who was here. Um, that is the perfect example of nothing going right. Um, the clothing that we chose originally um, sounded like it was going to work really well, and it totally didn't. I shot it anyway, my kind of like my brain wasn't in it. And then 
she got changed back into the clothes she showed up in, but still had the clown makeup on. And I was like, holy shit, okay, we're shooting you in that. That's way, she was in like a flannel plaid and jeans and like uh, Sorel winter boots. And I was like, yeah, go grab the ax and stand over there. That one I for sure would change the lighting. It was, it was too flat in some sections and way too direct in the other. There's a hard shadow I really don't like in that. Um, and then the little girl in the bedroom, which yep. oddly enough is not a little girl. She's like 40. Oh, wow. Like five foot one. Um, that, I don't know. I'd probably make a little more dramatic. I played that one probably a little too safe with the lighting and everything. Also, it was really weird having like 10 people in my house and shooting into like the master bedroom. Um, and then what's the other one? Oh, Ames out in Drumheller. Uh, that's the one where she's standing in front of those weird dunes. Uh, that one is definitely way one. too flat. Um, she's got the, like, why are you smiling or smile now or something. It's a green t-shirt and she's holding a shovel and you can just barely see, like, a, a boot in yeah. the, yeah. Uh, not new do to boot it, but, like, an actual boot that yeah. you wear. Um, that... When we initially were heading out there, it was a uh, overcast, cloudy, beautiful day for shooting that. And then when we got out there, it was sunny as fuck. <laughs> and, uh, I had two 600-watt lights, and that was it. And I knew I didn't want to shoot at, like, uh, you know, 2.8 and uh, basically have a giant MD. Anyway, uh, that one's lit flat. It's kind of like – it's another safe one that – I totally should have tried to make more nighttimey dramatic. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple that I'm happy with. There's a couple that I definitely change. Um, I would for sure gel more of the lights again because I did that with Katie. So basically, Katie, the first one in the woods, that lighting took over an hour to set up, just the lighting. Wow. Um, the rest, they were lit in like 15 minutes. Um, Angela, who was the little girl in the, in the room, uh, her lighting maybe took half an hour. Um, oh, you know what? And I did shoot one that I don't think I shared because I, I really didn't like it. Um, the space, I lensed up and was like, yeah, this is totally fine. So we set everything up. Everyone got to the location. And what I hadn't considered was the amount of space that lights take up. Uh... And I, had, I could not put the lights anywhere that I wanted to. So that portrait was a lot harder lit than I wanted to, and the background was a little boring. And I, I tried retouching the shit out of that one, and it just, like, it was still cool. Like, I think I shared it one or two places, but not crazy like I did the other ones. And uh, that's where the series ended, was that one. I was like, all right, I'm over it. And it was because the I, I don't think I treated them with as much seriousness as I did the first two. So... Um, it just came down to, all right, I don't think I'm really focusing as much. So it's not worth spending the money and everybody's time and, and all of that to get those shot. Um, but looking back, like I said, the, this fall, I almost called the same makeup artist to be like, Hey, five years later, you want to, uh, we'll fire one off somewhere and see if we can like put together some crazy lit. You know, like, the the kit's very similar. I mean, my phase is lower resolution than the Hassie, but the sync speed's the same. Um, I don't have 4,800 watts of lighting now. I have, like, 2,000, but um, they're not generator. It's battery-powered. It's yep. more like yep. a, Yeah, it, I think it'd be an interesting experiment, but 
at the same time, it's this weird um, branding thing now, I guess, where I kind of am trying to avoid that type of stuff. Uh, I don't really share motorcycles as much as I used to either. <laughs> and um, I'm just trying to push my brand a little further. Um, and I think shooting a really creepy clown with the epidemic that's going on in the States right now is probably not the way to do it. Uh, I don't want to be the, like, that fat, weird, bearded dude that shoots clowns. Uh, so You can uh, shoot yeah. and keep them to yourself. Yeah, yeah, so I, I choose other things. I've got a creative coming next week that actually I'll be using to approach some other vendors in a totally different demographic that I've never shot in, but still like commercial style imagery, just a lot more dynamic than any sample images that I've ever seen. So I like seeing what people shoot and I like seeing what goes into ads and then being like, oh, I would have shot it a different way. Why don't I try and shoot it a different way? And then see him like, oh, okay, either it shouldn't have been shot that way or yeah, I just totally learned something. Yeah. So I've tried to gear all my creatives and my extra time now into pushing my, my lighting skills, but in the way that it's not just crazy lighting for the sake of crazy lighting, but crazy lighting for the sake of adding to the story, I guess, or helping tell the story. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to do it. It's, it's being like a lighting nerd, but having it push the image further instead of just being like, damn, look at that lighting. Yes. That's crazy. lighting. Oh, that's making the strong image that, Yeah. Having the lighting sell the picture rather than the picture selling the picture. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So you mentioned yeah. you mentioned there about your uh, motorbikes, um, and I know that you've shot a a number of um, tracking shots and, and action shots of uh, the choppers and stuff that you've uh, the, the guys that you've worked with. Um, where did where did all the motorbikes start from? Was that something that you've always been into, or something that's come recently? No, um, motorbikes are one of those things where. Uh, my cousin had a motorcycle when I was growing up. Like, and I mean, I was little, like tiny. Like, my dad used to put me up on top of her motorcycle, and I'd just sit there and pretend to ride it because I was <laughs> a you know, fucking child. And uh, then when I was old enough for him to get my mother's approval to take me like down the riverbed on this dirt bike, uh, I was hooked. That's all I wanted, like, I don't know, like age six. Is that a thing? Age eight? Fuck, as far back as, like, you can legitimately remember things, whatever that happens to be, um, I wanted bikes. And my parents, it, like, when I was in junior high and high school, so we'll say, like, ages 14 to uh, 18, they were just like, nope, 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 nope. And then when I <laughs> moved away at 19, 20, 21, I guess, I bought a, I bought a bike um, off a Canadian racing team, so it was a track bike and we just put turn signals and headlights on it oh wow and i almost died like two weeks after buying it because you know there's no way that some dumb kid should be that's really never ridden for real before um should should have like a 130 horsepower motorcycle that only weighs 350 pounds um so i scared the shit out of myself on that bike and then uh I got a job down south, so I moved away. I put it in storage, and it was, uh, we'll say stolen, but really sold by a friend to another friend and then disassembled for go-kart parts, and then I never saw my money. Oops. Um, yeah, just one of those, like, cool, uh, you're kind of a shitty human being moments. And then when I came back to Calgary for photo school, um, I, 
kind of, I had spent a bunch of time like living in the Bahamas and you kind of get around on scooters or whatever you can. And I was just like, you know what, I, I want another, I want another motorcycle. And my dad had bought a motorcycle in one of those like, I can't say midlife crisis because he was like 58, <laughs> but um, he had been, he had been diagnosed with cancer. And I think it was one of those like, well, I want this and you can't say no because there's worse things going on. So he bought that. He bought a Honda Shadow Ace, which is the American classic edition. And basically it's like a Japanese version of a Harley uh, style wise. And I used to jump on that and bomb around their like little gated community. And um, as soon as I got back on that bike, I knew I had to have one again. And uh, so he let me ride his all the time. And then when he died, I went back to my mom's house, like maybe a, maybe a week after he died and went through the garage and there was no bike. And I was like, Oh, where's the, where's the bike? And she's like, oh, I got rid of it because you don't need a motorcycle. And I was like, Oh, wow. Well, now I get to teach you that weird, uh, I know more than you son lesson. So I went, I just straight up like the next week went out and bought a motorcycle as a like, see mother, you don't know anything. <laughs> and, what? uh, I bought, I bought all I could afford because I was in school. Uh, I bought a, what did I get? Oh, a 1981 Honda CB750. Oh, classic. I like, I think I paid $800 for it. And now they sell for thousands because, well, I don't know. Classic, yes. Classic retro. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was kind of fun because it, was, it wasn't stock. It had been chopped by a guy. And I was just kind of like, yeah, choppers are cool. I liked Easy Rider. I want to be on choppers. And I think that's sort of where it started. And I had just been through photo school. And so I started taking pictures of that bike. And then of friends riding who you meet through motorcycles. And one thing led to another. And I worked my way through a few shops in town that kind of like fucked me over when it came time for, I won't say payment, but trade. What I was doing was I was trading photo services for parts or for service on my bike. And a couple of them just didn't come through. So I had these images that I thought were great. And then I started, you know, thanks to social media, I started looking at other motorcycle photographers and was like, oh man, my shit sucks. <laughs> um, I gotta do, I gotta do something else. So I started pushing myself, and then through Instagram, uh, I met Dale Yamada of Magic Customs, which is, uh, he's probably, I don't know, one of the best builders around. Yeah, yeah. For sure in, in Canada, but definitely like North America. Um, crazy eye for detail, crazy fabrication. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't like what he has to say. Uh, I, you know, he's always... He's always been good to me and like my friends and, and, and whatever, but he definitely does not sugarcoat things. So I think a lot of people take it personally when he kind of calls certain things out. And so I've been working with him for the last five, six, six years now, I guess, uh, on branding and a bunch of imagery. And then he kind of started to trust me with his, um, with his brand and with his videos and, and stills. And it had started where he contacted me on Instagram and said, like, if you're interested, I might have a project, pop by the shop. So I stopped by the shop, and I had met him at, like, a swap meet and saw one of his bikes. I was like, oh, man, that's the coolest chopper I've ever seen. You know, one of those, like, nerdy kids is just like, I want a chopper. He and he, he, yeah, and then he sent, me a, he sent me a message, and I was like, oh, holy shit, this is crazy. So I went in, and um, he was so nonchalant about it. He's like, look, 
I don't think your time or your video skills or anything are really worth anything. He said, anybody can do what you do. Um, I'm just, I'm looking for somebody. And I said, yeah, that's true. But anyone can do what you can do either. And he looked at me, he's like, what? He said, anyone can build a bike. Like, it's just, it's fucking mechanics. And he's like, okay, I think we're going to get along just right. <laughs> and uh, so we came up with an agreement. He's like, I'm not going to build you a bike for this. I'm not going to do, he's like, I've talked to some people and they just, they have no idea what they think their, their craft is worth. And I think a couple people that he had talked to were like, yeah, for sure. I'll shoot a YouTube video for you. You just build me a $40,000 bike. And uh, for him, I, you know, I was pretty confident at the time. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll shoot this whole thing in trade for a gas tank and a set of custom handlebars. And like his, his handlebars were maybe like five or 600 bucks and the tank was like a thousand bucks. So it was still like, it was worth my time. Yeah. yeah. And I said, if you don't like it, you don't pay. You don't make me the bars. You don't make me the tank. You don't, we don't do shit. Like you just don't get to use it. And I said, I'm that confident that, that you'll like it. And so I went in and we shot this little trailer that at the time I thought was awesome. And he thought was awesome. And, uh, it started this amazing relationship. And I look back on it now and I'm just like, man, that's shitty. Oh, really? But it's still, like, is that the still... one, is that the one, uh, shot, shot, um, down on the, uh, where you're going up and down the uh, the slip roads, and you're on up on the bridge, and it's, you sh- did you share it on Vimeo a while ago? No, that one I still love, and I think that one has like sixty some odd thousand views, which is so weird to me. I mean, it's just a dude riding at night. Um, that one was still fun. I mean, now I totally do it differently, like pickup truck, jib, gimbal. <laughs> I mean, that was me handheld with a D800, a Rokinon twenty four. Uh, T15 and an 85 T15 and uh, it was just a buddy driving the pickup truck and me either out the back or out the side with Dale riding around Um, that one was fun to make we just kind of we fluked out we picked a time downtown Uh, this time of year again like maybe I think it was like two weeks ago um, was like the three year anniversary I think I got a thing from from three years ago wow yeah, right? I know. And uh, there was no one on the street. It was a Sunday night at, like, we started at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I think we saw two cars all night. So I set up on the bridge. He rode by twice, not a single car in the frame. Then we just rode through downtown. I had location scouted and picked a bunch of spots that I knew there were some turns and he could pull away. And that spot where he rides up onto the curb, goes over the bridge on the sidewalk, and then jumps out. That's right in front of a police station, which, which in hindsight is maybe a stupid decision. But, uh, nothing happened from it. It was great. Um, and then uh, that video actually had a different ending, but I didn't like the ending. Uh, so in the end of that video, he pulls into the Blackfoot Diner, and then it cuts out. But the original ending is like, him walking into the diner, him having a cup of coffee, and then, like, tight shots of him stirring the coffee, and then him getting back out and firing the bike off and riding it away. And I was just like, eh, fuck it, I'm just going to end it at the diner. Because I didn't actually like the footage in the diner. Okay. It didn't have the same feel as the rest of the video. It was too bright and too clean, and everything about that city ride was dark, pot like, pocket lit. And um, so, yeah, that video was supposed to end differently. But, uh, yeah, and then through Dale... Um, I got hooked up with Locke Baker of Eastern Fabrications. Um, and, uh, I was going to say, man, that kid can build a bike, but he's my age, like exactly. He's like 37. And, 
I met him through Dale and we did a couple videos with Dale and then I hung out with him in Sturgis and then he uh, asked if I was ever in the LA area and I said once in a while but usually I'm out of Palm Springs and blah 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 so he said oh well you know one time I'll have to come out to LA and shoot some stuff so we kind of like kept in contact and then yeah he flew me down and said okay well uh you know what you're doing so do what you want to do with the bikes and whatever you want to do so the first time down i mean i shot the bikes and it was fine they were, they were neat it's the tracking shots and they're like california typical uh whatever and then he was really happy and then he finished another bike so i went back down and then that time i brought lighting and i brought a bunch of other stuff and then i really shot the bikes and he said oh man this is this is different. And I said, yeah, this is what I'd rather do is spend the extra time and do this and not try to shoot 10 bikes in a week. And, uh, then the following, I don't know, I've been down there like probably five or six times now. And every time I go down, I end up bringing more and more. <laughs> and then this last time I went down because he also makes, uh, Damascus, like handmade Damascus knives. Like he starts with just yeah. chunks of steel and yeah. forges them into Damascus. And so for the knives, he gave me like full, full creative freedom. Um, so I brought a small studio with me this time and, uh, shot a bunch of those. And then we took the choppers out and rode around LA with a bunch of these knives in a backpack. And I had my phase and some lighting in my backpack and we'd pull over into these like crazy forested homeless areas, park the choppers, bring the knives up into the woods. I'd set up lighting and we'd shoot them in there, like in these wooded environments and, if you see the photos, they look fake. They look like they're in a studio. Yeah. And yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't understand. He was like, this is crazy. He's like, and I was like, yeah, I know if I get my time and I get to play like with lighting. And that was, that was sort of it for me was I got to shoot something that I enjoy again, like bikes and that kind of shit um, with lighting control. And then we got back and I said, you know, we should do a portrait for the new website. And that's where those portraits I sent you came in, which, like I said, they should be released either to, uh, probably Tuesday, I think. And so he he let me take crazy creative, and then he came up with the butcher bill or build a butcher American flag thing, and we went from there. So I'm kind of lucky in the fact that I've managed to turn two of my biggest passions. Like I don't know what I do without motorcycles. Like I literally, if, if I have a shitty like two days ago, I had a shitty day. And, uh, I kid you not, I just threw my gear on and like long underwear. Cause it's only 10 degrees out. And I jumped on my, my bike and I went out into the mountains and just like we, there's a route here that has some pretty long sweeping turns. And I mean, just sitting at 160 to 200 kilometers an hour through, you know, these turns and clearing your head and focusing on the road and everything else. I came back, like I wasn't even frustrated. Like it didn't have the rest of the day hadn't even happened. So to have motorcycles and photography become a source of income, like pay my mortgage with it, is pretty crazy. Um, so it's just one of those right place, right time kind of lucky things where I got to put two of my two of my passions into a into a career thing. And I don't share a lot of motorcycle stuff anymore. Um, again, it's a branding choice, which I know sounds dumb because there's like Aaron Hall and a few of those guys that are just incredible photographers that shoot mostly motorcycles. And uh, that's fine if you live in like Utah or California and you can, you can shoot bikes year round. But yeah, yeah. for, for us here, man, bikes, bikes went away like beginning of October for most people. 
and uh, you won't see bikes out until May. Six, seven months of no, six and a half months of no bikes. So there's no way to make an actual business plan or identity if you live here full time and and shoot bikes. Um, unless you travel a ton, which, you know, I yeah. am fortunate enough to do. Uh, so I pushed my brand away from, from that for now. And uh, going more the way of portraiture right now. Again, uh, I owe that to the phase because I'm all hopped up on Reignited your lighting fire again. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, that, that was like a super, super long answer. <laughs> So that's part one. We are finished up there. We're going to interject that. Uh, we were chatting away uh, quite happily over Skype for a good couple of hours. So I'm splitting this interview into two. That is part one. And you'll have to keep your eye out for part two, which is coming very, very soon. Thank you very much, guys. And I shall speak to you again anon.